If you had one piece of advice for a person who wants to succeed in your field, what would that advice be? I think to be a good scientist, you need both depth and breadth. Typically, you need depth first. So people spend the first part of their career acquiring methodological, technical, and substantive expertise. But I think you should always have your eyes open to nearby fields and nearby ideas. And as you mature, you should begin to emphasize breadth more than depth, because that's where you will get the most innovative ideas from. And that, and that typically the best ideas come from the intersection of other fields. Mm. So that's what I would recommend for success. Mm. Nice. What, if anything, do you wish you had done differently in your 20s, 30s, or 40s? Wow, that's a good question. Well, I, I think the most important thing you can do in your 20s is give a lot of attention to who you pick as a life partner. Mm. This is assuming you wish to be a, you know, have a partner for your life. It's fine not to. People can be celibate. They can be serial monogamous. They can be polyamorous. All of that's fine with me. But if you are serious about having a, a real relationship and growing from it, you have to devote attention to it in your 20s. You have to cultivate, in my view, a sense of authentic self in yourself. You have to be aware. You have to create opportunities to meet the right person. And then you have to really work hard to... Um, get off to a good, a good foundation for that relationship. And I think that is the primary determinant of people's long-term happiness. And it's typically something they do in their 20s. And it's typically something that's not emphasized enough in our society. Mm. Yeah, that, that's fascinating. Yeah, no, one, no one's given that answer. And it's, it even extends beyond your mate. I mean, people don't really tell you that you're going to make most of your friends early on as well, yeah. right? those people become the relationships you have yeah. for the rest of your life. Um, and there's also this unique burden that women experience for you know, women who want to have kids because yes. you know, the, the clock is ticking. And uh, you know, I now know several women in their mid to late 30s who you know, are freezing their eggs and, and are have, just haven't yes. solved this relationship problem. It's, it's unfair, but it's, it's a kind of an unmovable yes. object. That if this is something that you know is at the core of your happiness, you do have to sort of straighten it out sooner rather than later. Yes, it needs attention and thought like any other aspect of life. And it's, yes, I would agree. Ten years from now, what do you think you'll regret doing too much of or too little of at this point in your life? I don't know. I mean, I'm 56 and I've had a long time to sort out how I allocate my time. Mm. I think I, if you haven't done that by the time you're in your 50s, I think you haven't done a certain amount of proper growing up. So I don't think I will regret much how I allocate my time across my, my family and my professional obligations and my reading and my science. And I think I have a pretty good, pretty good allocation. Nice. You have a dog too. I do. <laughs> yes. Yes. In fact, that my dog is Rudy and he makes an appearance in the book. Excuse me. I'll go let okay. him out. Excuse okay. me one second. I'm back for question three yeah, or four, whatever uh, it is. I'm not sure if that's a dominance or a prestige hierarchy you have there with your dog, but <laughs> it sounds like a little of both. I, I make, no, it's all dominance with me. I got to teach him who's boss. Yeah. Okay, question four. What book should everybody read? The Iliad. Oh, nice. Uh, the Iliad or The Death of Socrates. That would be a hard choice. Right. I would probably pick The Death of Socrates. It's, uh, of course, the four, the four uh, dialogues that go up that are, make a part of the contemporary assembly of that book were written in, in not in chronological yeah. order of either as they appear in the book or of Socrates's life, but they are arranged that way. And it's just a, astonishing to read 
those. And I read, I reread that every three or four years. I also reread the Iliad every three or nice. four years. I mean, Hector is just is just an astonishing figure, actually. Hector and his relationship with Andromache, and and this man is single handedly trying to save his city from every possible venal act yeah. of, of his enemies and his brethren. And I mean, he's the real hero. Of and is totally doomed. Yes, doomed. And then his his wife is taken captive and his son is thrown from the ramparts. I mean, it, and he knows it. It's just it's just awful. So is there a translation you, you favor? Actually, there is one, and I'm blocking on the name. The, the Odyssey has recently been retranslated by, um, by Emily Wilson, and, and that her translation of the Odyssey is, is miraculous. I don't think she's done the Iliad yet. And the, and the most recent translation of, I'm blocking on the name of the guy that did the Iliad translation, which I love. I mean, I used to read the Fitzgerald translation, but there's a new right. one. The oh. Fagels, the Robert Fagels right. translation is the one I like. Oh, great. Great. Does having a Greek name like Christakis give you any ability to read the relevant Greek? Um, I mean, I, my modern Greek is fluent, and my I can make out some ancient Greek words. I've been recently very taken with looking at some of the... Uh, some of the phrasing and the translations in Genesis. And it's fascinating to me, you know, that I, I don't, I can't, I don't have it right now, but it, you know, it says that uh, the earth was, was, was formless and void, mm. but the Greek word is aoriso, which, which my interpretation of that word means limitless, mm. which is much more interesting than yeah. formless. It, the, the, it sets up and says that the, 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 the heavens, the existence is limitless, which is astonishing. And then it says that the, the, the face of God hovers over the deep, but the Greek word is avisos, which means abyss, yeah. which is a much more interesting word. I don't know why the translators say the deep instead of the abyss. And it's actually not the face of God, it's the spirit of God, uh, which some translate. Anyway, there is, I can make out a few of the words and have my own ideas, but I'm far from sophisticated in this. I regard. think you're ready to start a church, Nicholas. <laughs> <laughs> Count me as among the congregation. All right. Okay, next question. What negative experience, one that you would not wish to repeat, has most profoundly changed you for the better? Watching my mother die like a samurai. She was fearless in the face of death. And I, um, I uh, don't know how she did it, honestly. Well, and I uh, don't think I would be anywhere near as good as her at that. And in some ways, that almost makes me happy because here is one of many things that she did better than I would do, which is... Uh, to accept her own mortality and her death and, and leave her children behind, which I don't know how she did. Yeah. That. So that would be the immediately comes what, to mind. What did she die of? Hodgkin's disease. Right. She was diagnosed when I was six and she died when I was 25. Oh. She was 47 when she died. Oh. She was an incredible human being, by the way, but that's another topic. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I, don't th I think I asked this. I'm not sure we actually touched this, but what most worries you about our collective future? I mean, there are many there are many global threats that many people talk about. Uh, you know, nuclear arms proliferation, climate change, you know, the singularity, you know, ascendancy of machines, and those are all very concerning to me. But and I don't have any special wisdom or knowledge about that. But I am very concerned about the rise of of uh, populism and tribalism right mm -hmm. now. You know, and I think we're in for a, a couple of decades of of problems associated with this. And something radical could happen. I mean, China could disintegrate like uh, Soviet Union did, and I think that would reshape the national order, the world order. I don't think that's gonna happen soon. But, uh, and I think probably that would, actually it's hard to predict what, whether that would be beneficial or, or, or detrimental. But, you know, I, 
So I'm worried on the short term about about uh, about uh, tribalism and populism. Yeah. If you could solve just one mystery as a scientist, what would it be? Oh my God, there's so many mysteries. It's hard to pick. I, I was moved to tears by the photograph of the black hole. <laughs> I mean, for God's sake. Yeah, that was awesome. I just thought that was incredible. Consciousness, I think. If I could, if I could figure out how you take, uh, I would pick consciousness. Yeah. If I could figure out how, how you take, you know, phosphorus and sulfur and nitrogen and oxygen and carbon and, and iron and assemble them into, into uh, macromolecules and then into cells and then into neurons and then into brains and then you get consciousness. It's, it's, it's unimaginable to me. I, I would love to know how that happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's mine. You, you hit on mine. Yeah. All right. <laughs> if you could resurrect one person from history and put them in our world today and give them the benefit of a modern education, if you needed that, who would you bring back? Well, I mean, Abraham Lincoln is popping into mind, but mostly because I just think of how different our society would be if he had not been killed. Mm. So I would have rather liked to resurrect him immediately upon his death and right. restore him to where he was. But just for the sake of our own society, if I who would who would who what dead person would make an enormous contribution to the world today? I I don't know who I would pick. I probably this the name will come to me after I mm. after we hang up. Or I'll put you down for Lincoln. That that, that couldn't hurt. Yeah, it couldn't <laughs> hurt. Okay, final question: the Jurassic Park question. If we're ever in a position to recreate the T Rex, should we do it? Yes, that's easy. Yeah. All right. Well, it's funny. Some people are find it just as easy to answer in the negative, but I'm with you on this. I, I no, think... no. There, I have a I have a, a wealthy friend who who's very excited about. Uh, I know a bunch of people who are thinking about this. You know, with mastodons mm -hmm. and uh, and ancient uh, animals and uh, and you know buffalo, uh, not buffalo, um, blocking right now and the other mammals. But I think it's it's going to happen, and I think it's really cool science. And I wish I had skills that could make my. I, I volunteered to help with some of these right. initiatives, and they look at me like, "Yeah, what can you do for us? You know, go away." Right, right. But uh, if there's a if there's a listener who's working on this, and there's something I can do to help, yeah. I'd be happy. You're, to try. you're volunteering to be the Jeff Goldblum character in the movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'd love to meet him yeah. too, actually. But that's a different topic. Yeah. Well, listen, it's been a great pleasure, Nicholas. Thanks for everything you're doing. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sam, for what you're doing. And it's, it's really good to talk to you again.